Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you that uh, you desire to be with us, and you desire to meet with us, and you desire to bring us into greater things. And uh, God, we, um, we won't stop pressing you until you've come and given us what you promised. We love you. We thank you for your word and your spirit by which you bring truth. We love you. Amen. Well, I, um, last week we talked a little bit about uh, hunger, and then um, Ryan said they, they spent some more time last night uh, on it again. And um, so like I explained, there's a real, there's a real push toward things uh, this way in the church um, as a whole. And I think, not this week, maybe next week, what I'll do is I might actually spend some time telling you guys a little bit about what it used to look like around here and um, giving you a little bit better understanding of the impact. When we talk about what happened in, say, 2007, uh, if you weren't here in 2005 or 2003, that really means nothing to you. And it's hard to understand how drastically things changed when, when God showed up. And um, so after a couple of conversations with people, I realized, gee, you know, probably most of the people that are around now weren't here beforehand and didn't get to experience um, what it was like then. And um, so I think we'll get into some of that because it's really important to understand that when God shows up again, we're going to have a similar change to the same kind of degree, with similar impact, and uh, we believe that as the last one really impacted and affected the church, the next one is really going to impact and affect the community. So, but <clears throat> there's, a, there's a piece that I want to talk about tonight um, for a bit. And it's, as I look throughout scripture, I kept running into this same thing over and over and over. When God's people went from doing things one way and boom, into a new season in which they had uh, more given to them. His presence was more tangible. They would go from an old way to a new way, either under law to under grace to living in the wilderness to the promise. They had to do something by his voice, by faith. And so I want to talk about uh, living by his voice in responding to his voice. So first, um, I want to I make a foundation from which we respond to his voice because there's, a, there's kind of a catch-22 because we go, oh, I can hear God now, so I don't really have to practice wisdom. If God didn't tell me to do something, I don't have to do it. So I'm per- pretty much just going to stay in bed for 23 hours a day, and if he mentions something, then I'll, I'll get out and I'll eat because he seems to tell me to eat every day. Um, but there's this extreme where it's like, I can hear God now, so I don't have to live by wisdom or godly principles. So wisdom is uh, the knowledge of what is true or right, coupled with just judgment as to action. That's the definition of wisdom. So it's not just knowing what's right, it's doing it and carrying it out and executing. It's a crucial point of wisdom is execution. Um, So wisdom comes by learning God's ways and the ways of his kingdom. It's like living the book of Proverbs. Uh, 
So wisdom is a really, really good thing. Um, wisdom isn't necessarily telling us, hey, don't sin, because it kind of assumes that if we're looking for wisdom, we already know that. But wisdom is, is, is demonstrating to us the best available way of life. So, you know, stuff like don't correct a fool. Uh, whoever keeps the company of the wise becomes wise, but whoever keeps the company of fools is harmed. Don't correct a fool. Um, coming across a fool in his folly is worse than coming across a she-bear, is one of the Proverbs. Which is, that's a fun one. Um, <clears throat> so wisdom, it, it takes us from, hey, don't just be righteous. Now there's a course of life that's going to lead you into a much, much uh, more fruitful way of kingdom living, right? That's wisdom. So wisdom is, is very, very important. And wisdom is a foundation for us to live godly in the kingdom. These are principles in which we can continually grow. Um, pastor talks about, just as a, like a really easy devotional, there's 31 um, chapters in the book. So like read one chapter uh, a day each month. Um, it's, it's really quick. It's really easy. But it just... There's con- Every time I read that book, it, it, something hits me that I had never seen before in the last time through it, and it allows us to grow in wisdom, understanding God's ways, his principles, and makes us more fruitful in Christian life. We live by wisdom when God isn't telling us to do something else. So that's when we apply wisdom. Wisdom is knowing what the right thing to do is in acting it out, These are the principles of godly living. And we live by principles anytime we don't have the voice. Now, in regard to wisdom, if we lived purely by wisdom, we would live more successfully before God than nearly all the earth. I mean, really, it's like there have been actual like business studies where um, if you are a hard worker and you're willing to work a nine-hour day, you will... Uh, surpass 80% of the population in the workplace because you're a hard worker. That's, that's one of the basic principles of wisdom. Remember we talked about it last year, diligence. So if you're a hard worker, you're going to surpass 80% of the population. If you're honest in your workplace, you're going to surpass another 15%. That leaves 5% just by living with wisdom. It's kind of incredible. So wisdom is a really good thing, and I in no way intend to downplay it tonight. Um, however, because you guys have kind of been doing this thing for a while and, you know, um, you know, most of you are Christians, um, then, uh, yeah, forget it. Um, wisdom and living by the principles of wisdom can be an impediment to living by the voice of God. Big time. It's easy to turn wisdom into complacency and safety. Wisdom is a permanent foundation of principles and actions by which we live according to God's way, his word, his kingdom. But it submits to the voice of God. Wisdom is the best way to live by God's principles. However, God made the principles and can supersede them by calling us to live at times by his voice. 
He's not always telling us to do something else, but when he does, we step out of the principles of wisdom and into whatever he's told us to do with his voice. So, what do I mean by living, living by the voice? Um, I was just having a conversation with my brother. He's been asking me all these random Bible trivia questions, and he, he asked me about the uh, transfiguration uh, yesterday, and I ducked it, and he pinned me down again today. And, um, but one of the things in the transfiguration is Jesus, uh, God speaks to Jesus, and he says, listen to him. And one of the, one of the takes on this is listen to him. I'd always read it, listen to him. So listen to the son. Uh, but I was looking at it today, listen to him with the emphasis on listen being that Jesus drew us into a relationship with the Father, yeah, where we now get to actually converse with God. So prayer isn't just one directional. We're now able to hear God speak. And so listen to him is the implication to us that, hey, you're Peter, John, James, you guys are now being drawn into something where you're not just living by law or principle. You're living in a real relationship where He's going to speak to you and tell you to do something that may not be what you expect. Listen to him. So Jesus made a way for us to have a relationship with God in which we can hear his voice. We should be ever listening for God to speak, and when he's not, living by wisdom. God speaks through dreams, visions, which I'd lump under signs and wonders, uh, because... A vision could be a picture that you see, but a sign or a wonder may not be something that you necessarily see like a movie screen, but uh, you notice something happen in the sky or signs and wonders and visions would go under that. His word, other believers are animals. Um, That's in the Bible, so I can put that in there. Promptings or feelings and circumstance. So I put promptings and feelings, and that would be the one that we would say, oh, that's his voice. His voice is also the scripture. His voice is also other believers. His voice is also signs, wonders, dreams, visions. That's, those are all different ways that he speaks to us. And circumstance is one that's often overlooked, but Jesus rebuked uh, people for not knowing the times in which they live because he said you can tell what's coming in the weather, but you can't tell the season in which you live. So you're not reading the circumstances that are happening about you. And so we should look at our circumstances and realize, hey, God's orchestrating these things in my life, trying to tell me something's happening. Uh, So circumstance is another way we hear his voice. So before we get into living by the voice and stepping out of wisdom and what in the world I'm talking about, I want to first talk about there's some responsibility that comes uh, for us to live by his voice. First of all, early on... um, we regularly hear God, and it's not really him. And in regard to the prophetic, this is why Paul says, you know, test the word, test the prophecy. Don't despise it. So he has the understanding that, in, especially in a young church, people are going to think they heard God, and they're going to give a word. And he says, you've got to test this because, you know, they've been at this for a couple of years. There's probably a 50-50 shot that it's right. In the first year or two, it's probably 80-20 that it's not right. Um, But as they go and they mature, they become more accurate, they become more precise. But early on, 
we regularly think that we hear God and it's not really him. This is because we haven't learned to differentiate his voice from our feelings yet. Our feelings are not the same as his voice. And just because we feel a certain way about something doesn't mean that that's God's desire or will. It first must line up with Scripture, and then we should look for confirmation. So, um, one thing that happens fairly regularly uh, with um, college students in the church is like, um, someone will have God tell them, I'm supposed to marry you, and... um, while he may do that, um, that's not necessarily the best approach to someone that you've not met um, before. Uh, so we have a kind of a policy, no marry and bury him words. Um, you know, don't tell someone you're going to marry them and don't tell someone they're going to die. Uh, unless you're really, really sure. No, I'm just kidding. If you get something like that, um, you should share it with leadership and they'll pass it up the chain. Um, in fact... <clears throat> kind of a weird story. Pastor Tuttle had come to me once and said, um, there's a guy that you don't know, pray for him. He's, he called here. He's an old friend. He's looking for a word. I was like, okay. On my way home, I asked the Lord, what do you got? And he's like, he's going to die if he doesn't stop what he's doing. I'm like, odd. Um, I didn't think we did that here. And so I called Pastor back, and I explained him the situation. He's like, wow. And he called the guy, and he gave it to him, and he said it was right. And I didn't know the circumstance, but there were other things that were were going on that were true. So um, it's not to say that God's never going to speak that way, but you got to handle it in the right way. And in regard to the marriage thing, I hope God gives you a leading if you're going to get married, uh, who you're going to marry. But the best approach is not to tell them that God said, you're supposed to marry me, and then propose right after that. You know, do the proposal thing first, and then after they say yes, and you're headed toward your wedding, then you can go, hey, guess what? This is really cool, but here's the story, and this is why I feel like we're supposed to da-da-da. Totally random, but (laughs) but that's worth repeating. (laughs) So just because we feel something doesn't mean that's God's voice. It's really important, because especially early on, when our emotions are being renewed, we feel things, and it's not God. And if we look at his word, we go, hmm, that's obviously not him. I'm feeling this really strongly, and I need to do what the word says and not what I feel like doing. And so that gets refined as we grow and our emotions are renewed. And later on, the desires of your heart are his desires. But there, takes, there, there is a renewing process to that. So there's a responsibility that we all carry in awareness that my feelings may not necessarily be God's voice. Uh, All right. Humility is another responsibility. You have to be unafraid to fail. To live in the voice, you have to be unafraid to fail. Often, it's pride that prevents us from taking the risk needed to step into the greater things of God. See, part of... um, So, I'm going to double back for a second. You know, when we think we hear God early on, and maybe we're wrong, 
right? I'd rather have someone who thought they heard God and were wrong, but threw themselves into it 100% and missed than someone who would never throw themselves in because they're afraid that God didn't speak. So I'm going to throw that little asterisk in there. But if you want to live by the voice instead of by the principles of wisdom, you have to be unafraid to fail. So uh, it's usually pride that prevents us from the risk needed, from taking the risk needed to step into the greater things of God, usually because we don't want others to see us fail. It's not that we're necessarily afraid of failing or messing up. It's that we don't want everyone else to know we did. So humility, it's required that we're unafraid to fail. I've talked to some people who... um, who've accomplished some pretty cool things, you know, and said, what do you think sets what you've done apart from what other people have done? And and they said, the the risk and the sacrifice, the cost. I was willing to pay the price and take the risk. And most people aren't willing to pay the same price or take the same risk because it's too dangerous, it's too scary, and they're afraid to fail. It's good. Uh, There's also responsibility that would fall under humility, that we're able to admit when we were wrong. So if you jump in wholeheartedly and you missed, and he didn't say that, it's okay. He's not mad at you. It's okay to have messed up. Just get up. Whoops. It's not what I, I guess I must have heard a little bit off. Get back in line and get ready to jump again the next time. So you've got to be able to admit when you were wrong, and you've got to be able to get back up and try again. You also have to be able to be corrected at times sternly. Peter rebukes Jesus and says, You can't go to the cross. You've got to be the king. And he turns and he says, You don't have the ways of God about you, but the ways of man. Peter had a feeling that he should help save Jesus from the cross. Well, his feeling wasn't the voice of God. It was his emotions. And so Jesus corrects him sternly. So there are times where we've got to throw ourselves into something, even if it's confronting Jesus, and be wrong and be able to be corrected sternly and get back on course. We've got to be teachable. You know, it's interesting. I was looking at Peter's life. And we look at Peter as kind of this, he's kind of the guy that made all the dumb mistakes, isn't he? I mean, when you read through the Gospels, he's the one that we always talk about, like, Peter did this wrong, and he did this wrong, and he did this wrong. Peter did. End of sentence. Peter was always the guy who was willing to go. He was willing to jump. He was willing to take the shot. He wasn't hiding in the shadows, waiting for someone else to go first, and then, okay, now it's safe. Now I'll go. Peter was always the guy who thought, if there's an opportunity, I'm going for it. If I think God spoke, I'm going to dive in there. Even though I might have to say, whoopsie-daisy, sorry about that, Lord. I guess I didn't really, wrong page. I was over here, you were over here. Requires humility, courage. Peter, Peter's amazing. He really is. So it requires humility. There are, there are a lot of responsibilities that come with wanting to live by the voice of God. Lots. But it's worth it. All the responsibility is worth it. 
all the danger and the abuses of living by the voice and have it misused and mistreated is because it's worth it. So, living by the voice is the end of understanding. That's how I, how I view it. And scripture would support that. Also, Proverbs 3.5, which is probably the most commonplace Christian tattoo. Um, you know, trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. Um, don't need to know why he told you to do something. Just do it. So, living by the voice is where we go from living by wisdom and reason and understanding, and we become people who live by faith. And that's the termination of our reason, of our understanding. With the end of our understanding also comes the end of our control and the end of our safety. Son of a gun. So this is how it usually plays out, at least for me. Maybe you guys can relate to this. Maybe not. I hope not. Um, but I'm a, I'm a pretty logical thinker. Um, you know, I want to be able to process things and, and see my steps and, um, I'm administrative and systematic. And so this is, this action is going to have this effect. So God says this, Charles, go do this blank. And as soon as he says that my mind, I see myself going over there. And then I start to play out the implications of what I'm about to do. I'm walking over to this man. He has a broken leg. I'm going to pray for this man. If he does not get healed, I'm going to look silly. I'm going to turn red in the face. I'm going to walk around and say, God bless you, and I'm going to walk into the back of the room. And, and you play this out. Okay, now he's going to call my boss. And now this is going to happen. And now this is going to happen. And now this is going to happen. And because I don't know where this is going to end I don't want to walk over there and, and do this. We can also get good at the other side where it's like, I see myself walking over there. I pray for this man. He rips his cast off. He does a somersault, then a backflip. He calls a newspaper, tells him who prayed for him. I get a paper interview. Next day, it's New York Times, da, 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 right? And so we reason it out that way. Well, neither one is really healthy. Because we're presuming and assuming things that we have no clue about. You could pray for that guy, he could drop over dead. I mean, I don't know, right? But you could pray for him, he could get up, walk away, and become the man who Jesus uh, drove the demons out of, left, and he ended up seeing ten cities get saved. I don't know. That's the point. I don't need to know. So... Our reason and understanding, hold on. So, when God speaks, our typical response is usually to try to reason it out and understand it. Okay, if I do this, this is what's going to happen. As soon as we do that, we're in trouble. As soon as we do it, we're in trouble. We're either going to talk ourselves out of it, or we're going to talk ourselves into it, based on the results that we think should happen if we do it, and then they don't, and we're disappointed. We're in trouble both ways. Our reaction should just be to do it. That's it. God speaks, I do it. When we will fail to step into the fullness of what's available for us in God if we do not crucify and master our reason. That's really important. 
we will fail to step into the fullness of what is available for us in God if we do not master our reason. Reason and understanding are valuable only if they submit to God's voice in our decision-making. Reason and understanding should be used looking backwards after God speaks. Putting the pieces together. But when he speaks, the last thing you want to do is try to understand it or reason it because you're going to get in trouble. Now, this is the good news. Kind of. But it is. You can live in his blessing by living in wisdom without receiving what you could have had had you lived by his voice. So the what we're talking about tonight, the worst case scenario is still really good. That's nice. That, that feels good. I like that. You could, you can live in that blessing just by living in wisdom. However, it doesn't allow you to get to see what happens when he steps into the equation. It doesn't allow you to get to see what happens when God shows up at the fight. Living by the voice of God allows him to enter and act in whatever equation you are in. He's already in the equation because we belong to him, right? When we're living by principles and life is mundane and it's a nine-to-five job and you have your family at home and you got your church thing, he's there. He's with us day in and day out as we live in wisdom in these principles because we're his. We're in him. We're in his name. We belong to him. So he's there. But he does not get to act in the equation unless we respond to his voice and allow him into our circumstance. What we discover, though, is that we've got to respond before we see him move in a situation. We've got to respond and act before it makes sense and before we know how it's going to end. Now we're going to look at some, some different scriptural examples that are pretty cool. So you guys remember Peter? Yeah, Peter's the guy who sunk when he got in the water, right? Um, Peter's the guy, in, the only guy other than Elisha who got to walk on water. Peter's the only guy in the New Testament who got to walk on water. He got to walk on water. Anybody in here ever tried it, other than Ryan and Corey? Try it? Good job. I haven't yet. I mean, I've tried it, but I haven't walked on water yet. Um, Think about this. God creates the world, yeah? He puts all these principles, these laws, order to creation, right? And we know that when you step onto a liquid surface, you sink. That's reason, that's logic, that's understandable. He tells Peter, get out of the boat, walk to me. For Peter to get out of the boat, he had to violate every ounce of reason that he had. And you know when he sunk was when he looked and he saw the wind and reason kicked in again and was like, I should not be out here, and he started to sink. For Peter to walk on water... He had to respond to the voice without thinking about the implications of stepping onto a liquid surface. He's violating the laws of nature that God created. And it's the creator, God, who's telling him to do so. He's not telling him to sin, and he won't. 
but he's telling them to violate wisdom. He's telling them to violate reason. That's what living by the voice does. Paul. Paul is told by Agabus in Acts, I think it's 21, um, that he would be bound by his, he took, remember he takes his belt off, and he, bound, he goes, whoever is wearing this belt will be bound in the same way. Paul goes, see you later. Agabus says, I don't think you understand, your highness, Paul. You can't go, you're going to be in chains. And Paul's like, that's what I'm supposed to do. So reason is, if you know you're going to get imprisoned for doing this, you're not going to go into it, you bozo. No, I know that's exactly why I'm going into it. And what we, what we probably forget about is that much of the New Testament was written after that time while Paul was imprisoned. Different situations. There's four more specific cases. You guys know about Naaman? <clears throat> Naaman, the commander of the army of Aram. It's in 2 Kings 5. Naaman, he's told by a servant girl, go see this man of God. He'll heal you. He shows up. Elijah sends the servant out. Here, go. You go tell him. I'm not going to tell him. You go tell him. Servant goes out, tells him, hey, jump in the water over there. Wash yourself seven times. You're going to be good to go. Naaman is like reason. He's reasonable. He's an army commander. Of course he's going to have reason. He's like, uh, your water dirty, my water clean. Um, I'm not getting in the water because I don't know. I don't want to come away with scabies. Instantly, his response is reason, logic, understanding. This doesn't make any sense. He's about to leave. His servant says, you might as well try it. We're here. Gets in the water against logic, against reason, against understanding. Washes. He's, of course, cleansed. His leprosy is gone. We know the story of Jonathan and the armor bearer. They have a word about winning this battle. Everyone else is waiting because they can't figure out how it's going to happen. Jonathan, the armor bearer, that's like, let's just go try it out. Their life was in jeopardy taking this risk. This is not a good militaristic move. There's two of them. There's an army. We're going to go try this on our own. There's no way that this makes sense. There's no way that you can stack this and then look at it from a, a, a standpoint of understanding and reason that this could ever make sense, right? What about David and Goliath? David and Goliath. The little teenager, right? He goes, he's going to fight the big bad Goliath. There's no way this makes sense. Um, maybe you guys were here. But cool little factoid about David and Goliath. This is one of the reasons that everyone was paralyzed on the, uh, the Hebrew lines. Um, in that day, you couldn't fight unless you did hand-to-hand combat. That was, you had to fight hand-to-hand. And so most of these guys, you know, now if you look, the, that people group is, they're not really tall. They're more like my size and... Um, vertically challenged folk. And um, here's a guy who's like eight feet tall standing across the line, and i got to go fight this guy hand-to-hand with a sword. He's got, he's got a spear, you know, like a weaver's rod. So there's a really good chance that before I get within arm's reach with my little dinky stick, that he's going to be able to stab me and I'm going to die. And so no one was willing to take that risk until David shows up. 
And David just goes, I don't really have to fight him his way. You know, I got, I got a rock, and I can throw it fast enough that it's like a 45 slug hitting someone in the forehead. So I'm just going to go fight him my way. I don't feel like I have to go fight him his way. And the Lord is with me, and he goes and he, and he does it. Again, there's no way that this makes sense. But he acts before he knows how it's going to turn out. That's the thing. We read these stories in Scripture, and we know because of hindsight how they turn out. And we go, oh, of course it did. I mean, through this thing, obviously it's going to take him out. Come on. Really? Have you ever put yourself in David's shoes as a 16-year-old, sweaty teenager with sweaty palms, and you're going in to fight an eight-foot man who's fought in battle his whole life? There's no way this makes sense. And yet you have to act before you know the results, before you've put it all together. You guys remember uh, after the Exodus, right? Um, God's people, they leave Egypt, they go through the desert, they get to where they're going to enter the promised land. And this is what they've been waiting for. This is huge. This is hundreds of years. We're waiting to enter this promised land. This is such a big deal. They get there. They have a word that this is going to be your land. Go in and take it. They go, they send out scouts, and what happens? Say, no way. They're like giants. Well, they probably were. So what happens? Were they cowards? Maybe. But I would say they're probably just really logical, reasonable people. I would say they probably went in, and they were like, holy shlamoly. They're huge. We don't have a chance against them. They're like twice as many of them. As they got fortified cities. We're a bunch of dudes in tents. They're probably just really logical, reasonable people that had heard God, but then they saw and they couldn't overcome their understanding. They couldn't overcome their reason, and so they said, I, we're just not going to do it. Joshua, of course, and Caleb said, we're going to do it. And they didn't get to it at that time, and they had to wait till an entire generation died. And why this story is so powerful is it, is it shows this is the difference between a people who respond to the voice of God and step out of living by principle and begin to live by the voice without understanding and a people who say, if I don't get it, I'm not going there. Joshua and Jericho. This one's amazing. You guys know the story of Joshua and Jericho, right? Since you're a little kid. Have you really thought about it? Probably not. But... Joshua and Jericho, how did they overcome the city? First, they had to walk across a mile-wide river at flood stage. That's kind of a big deal. Then they get in there, and there's Jericho, this huge fortified city, right? Stone walls. Now, Joshua is a trained, skilled, extremely skilled military commander. You remember when um, they fought uh, earlier under Moses' leadership, Amalek and Joshua wins this war against Amalek when they held up Moses' arms up on the mountain. Joshua was leading the army at that time. If you read the book of Joshua and you just type in like Joshua battle, there's like 15 search responses just in the book of Joshua about this guy's life. This guy was a trained, skilled military commander and he had a pretty good sized army. And they cross over the river and they get to where they're going to go to Jericho and it's not go. You know, here's your strategy, here's your military. 
Joshua, the military commander, is told, hey, Josh, put the sword down. You're going to join the marching band. And the marching band is actually what's going to defeat Jericho. Um, it's ludicrous. It's, it's, why would, God, why would you even do that? I mean, the marching band. I was in the marching band. The marching band isn't winning any fights against anyone. I played the trombone like a champ. Josh was like, do I got to wear the little hat? Joshua got to lead the people into the promise because though he was skilled in his trade, though he had lived by wisdom throughout his life, in the moment where he could have said, we're ready to go challenge them in battle because the Lord is with me, God says, it's not going to be battle by which we overcome them. We're going to do it by walking around the walls and we're going to yell and we're going to blow our horns and everything's going to fall down and you're going to win. That makes no sense. There's no way you can look at this that it makes any kind of sense. And yet, that's exactly how God led them into the promise. And in case after case after case after case in Scripture, when people step into a new realm of promise or presence with God, it's because they acted on the voice and violated their reason and their understanding. The key point with Peter, with Paul, with Naaman, with Jonathan in the armor bearer, David against Goliath, Joshua and Jericho, we look at these stories and you go, there's no way this can work. And you're absolutely right if God is not a part of the equation. But he's in the equation every time. He's in the equation every time. When we act... We're allowing him to move on our behalf suddenly. Where he's been present and allowing us to reap and sow and bear fruit, suddenly he moves, he acts, and he takes over the situation, and that's when the supernatural happens. That's when explosive change takes place. I was reading a a thing written by a guy who... He got converted uh, while, while writing about David and Goliath. It was amazing. He, he was writing about it, and he, he's reading this story, and he said, every commentary that I read referred to David as an underdog. And he said, I couldn't figure that out, because the only way David could have been an underdog in this situation is if God wasn't present. But he is. He's always present. And he said, as Christians, we underestimate the power of the presence of God in our midst and in our lives. And we fail to act by his voice because we wonder whether or not he'll act when we do. So what, what, is, this, what is this really all about? This is what allows us to step into the greater things of God and make a way for others to come into them as well. Again, look through Scripture at the different, what you'd call breakthroughs, or breaking into new things that happened over and over and over again. 
people had to make a decision to step because God spoke without knowing what would happen. Happens over and over. It's not limited by our understanding and it allows us to truly walk by faith and not by sight. Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys uh, for just like 10 seconds because I haven't been the rest of the night. But um, So, 98.75% of the Christian life is lived in wisdom and by principle. God will speak to us, but often he's just talking to us about us, about him, about our relationship together. But there's that 1% of the time where he tells us to do something that doesn't make sense. It just doesn't. You can't explain it. And those are the moments that define whether we will just live a blessed life or we will live a life like Joshua, like Peter, like Paul, that come into the fullness of our potential and really have a, there's really an opportunity to shake and change everything and anything. A couple of guys changed the world. They literally changed history because they're willing to say yes without understanding that 1% of the time. In the last week, I've had conversations with people where uh, they've told me about different stupid things that God has um, told them to do that don't really make sense, even in the last just couple of weeks. And um, for me, uh, throughout my life, Every time God was about to step in and do something powerful and we'd be pressing, he'd be asking me to do these random, weird little things. Go say this to this person. Um, at one point in Tennessee in 2006, he's like, go, uh, go out in the middle of the road, in the middle of your neighborhood, um, up on a little hillside where you can look over the mountains and get on your knees and scream, Jesus is Lord, and it's daylight. And uh, I'm just like, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't accomplish anything. And after about five minutes of um, convincing myself it was a really bad idea, I went out. I did it. Um, I'm not really sure why. But I uh, ran back inside. It was a good thing most of our neighbors were Russian, so they didn't understand me anyway. Um, but I get back in, and I turn around as I'm coming in the door, and the mail person puts some mail in our box, which was probably the only time we were in Tennessee that we really got any mail. And in it was uh, an invitation to come back and speak at an event on campus here uh, from Pastor Tuttle. And it was that weekend where I had an encounter with God that completely changed me personally. And it was leading up to this that there were all of these little strange things that God's like, I want you to do this, I want you to do this, I want you to do this. And I remember going into when the Lord stepped into that room in 2007, how many of these different same-like weird things he was saying, I want you to do this. It doesn't make any sense, God. This doesn't make sense. Why should I do this? I just want you to do it. He's wanting to know if we're committed to living by his voice or living by our understanding. Because trusting in the Lord, it's crucifying our understanding. It's us mastering our understanding and submitting it to him where we will live by his voice regardless of what the circumstance will be. And in the last two weeks, this has come back to the surface again. And while this is a practice and a principle that you can hold to for the rest of your life, I think that the, the reason that these things are coming back up is God's allowing us to qualify ourselves to participate. If you remember, with Joshua and Caleb and the other ten, 
There's a qualification that took place when the 12 spies went into the land. Two qualified, 10 didn't. The 10 that were disqualified, they were disqualified because they used wisdom. I've always looked at it like they were just, they're fearful. They're, they, they didn't, they weren't fearful, they used wisdom. They knew that if they went in there and, and God didn't do something crazy, they would have lost and they would have. So the 10 were disqualified because they acted in wisdom. The two were qualified because they crucified wisdom and acted in faith. They went by the voice and they said, God, if you said so, we'll go, even if it's to our death, we'll do it. So when God's asking us these questions and he's telling us to do these things, how we respond is our qualification. It's our qualification to get to participate in things. This isn't about salvation. That's given freely. You don't have to do anything for it. You just accept it. But when we start to walk with God, we've got to partner with him and cooperate with him. And people who won't get disqualified, and they don't come into the greater things of God. It's in the Bible, and I've watched it happen in, in practical experience. It's heartbreaking. And, and they may go on to live a really great life, but they didn't get to have what could have been. And that's, that's just sad to me. So when these things are happening, and I believe they are now, and I think they're going to increase in the next months as we press together as a church, make sure that you just act and you sort it out later. There have been a lot of times where I did something that I thought God might have told me to do, only to find out that I may have been wrong, but I'd rather be wrong and miss than not do what he told me to do and be disqualified from what I could have had. I mean... I could, I could give you a hundred stories about where I made, I was wrong. I could give you a hundred, easy. Here, go here, do this, say this. Is, it, is your name Sarah? No, you creep. Swing and a miss, it's okay. But I would rather swing and miss and have to say that I was wrong, apologize, get back up and try again, than get disqualified for not stepping out in the first place. So while we press together and these supernatural things happen more and more, We have to crucify and master wisdom and reason. Use them when God's not speaking, but as soon as he does, they go down and we step before we know if we're going to walk on water or sink. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to get out of here. Father, Lord, it is uh, such an amazing privilege that we have your voice. Lord, I don't think that we really grasp the enormity of that reality. That you, the living God, the creator of all things, would choose to speak intimately, quietly, just to us. It was waited upon for generations, centuries, to be able to interact with you face to face like we get to every day. Grip us, Lord, with the the privilege that we have, the gratitude that we could live in being able to to hear from you on a day-to-day basis. Father, thank you for wisdom. Thank you for the principles of living well. But, Father, I ask for us that as you speak to us about new things and about doing things that we don't understand and don't make sense to us and we don't feel like doing, 
cause us to do it, have the courage to do it, knowing that we're qualifying ourselves for the greater things in you. We're just cooperating. We're just agreeing. We're just making a way for you to act and move us into something new, something that you planned for us. So, Father, I just ask that um, for, a, for a strong, mature Christian group, that wisdom would not become an impediment to the greater things. And cause us to be dissatisfied when we don't have your voice pointing to us and leading us into new opportunities and new ways that we can be obedient to you. We love you, Father. We love you. Amen.